0: Uh, tonight we're going to do the all of chapter two in first John. How many of you love the word of God? Really love the word of God. You love the word of God. Well, I'm going to do 29 verses in one night. And if you think I can't do it, buckle your seatbelt because I'm going to do the whole chapter. All right. So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you tonight for the rich word of God. Lord, nothing can compare to the 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 word of God, it's like honey to our spiritual palate, Lord. It's so good. And I pray that as we go into the word tonight, that light will shine. Light will shine. The light of your truth, the light of your love, that your face will shine on us tonight. And that you will build us up in the faith. And Lord, even more than that, help us to understand what real Christianity is. And we thank you, Lord, for sharpening our discernment and our Spiritual understanding. Now, will you breathe a prayer, dear church, and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive the engrafted word, which is able to save my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor, it's going to be good. God bless you. Amen. Amen. All righty, last time, how many of you have a Bible with you? You know, have you realized, I know we can get the Bible online, and I know you can get it on an iPad, iPhone, but how many of you like the sound of paper turning the Bible pages, right? Call me old-fashioned. I tried reading the Bible online, and I just want to go find my Bible that's all marked up and just, it smells right, it sounds right, it looks right. So, if you have your Bible, wave it not your hand, your Bible. There you go. Some of you were just waving at me. All right, good. We're in first John chapter two. Now, last time we closed chapter one with John using the phrase, if we say three times, he said it three times. If we say we have fellowship with him, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned," And John's point is always to reveal whether or not what we say is true or if we've become deceived. So he says, if you say, let me tell you if what you're saying is true or not. So as we begin chapter two, we're gonna find him using another phrase three times as well. He who says. He's gonna say that three times. He who says. So it's kind of the same thing. If we say, or he who says thus and so, and then he's gonna tell us whether or not What they're saying is true, all right? But first, he brings good news about our advocate, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 1, my little children. Don't you love John? When he says my little children, that's where he's floating like the butterfly because he's about to sting like a bee. Just, Just hang on. But when he says my little children, and you feel like, oh, come here, daddy. And then he zing. So. That he's going to be doing that tonight some. He said, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That means, folks, that you may not practice sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, there's two words there I want to pull out. Advocate means a legal advocate. It's a legal term. We have an advocate with Jesus Christ or in Jesus Christ. A legal advocate makes our case for us. We all know what an attorney does. You get in trouble, you get an attorney. He makes your case for you before a judge. Now, that's what Jesus does now. What is Jesus doing right now well he 's praying for us, we know that because he ever lives to make intercession for the saints right got your, you got your ameners on tonight don't't don't, no nod me do this or do this so so if I say we, you know we have an advocate right at least do there we go okay what is jesus doing he 's praying in heaven for us that 's what he 's doing aren't, aren't you glad to know he 's praying for you but he 's also advocating for us. He's advocating. Because how many of you have sinned sometime in this new year? Okay, that's all of you, right? So what happened when we sinned? Well, when we confessed that sin, Jesus advocated for us before the Father. And he said, Father, yes, they sinned. But they're covered in my blood. That's one of my kids. That's one of my children. That's my son or that's my daughter. And he advocates. And when the father hears we're covered in the blood, then it turns his wrath away. Jesus wins the case every time. Okay? So that's advocate. Now, John also says he's our propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a strong word. It means something that appeases an angry and offended party. That's God. There cannot a sin happen anywhere in the world where God is not angry and offended over it. Because God's whole issue is the sin issue. Why would he send his son to die on a cross of shame and torture for us if sin were not really serious? Right? So when we sin, it immediately offends the holy character of God. And Christ's atoning blood appeases God's wrath. As soon as we say, 1 John 1, 9, we looked at last week, Father, I confess my sins. Forgive me my sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He advocates He makes our case for us, and then his blood turns God's wrath away. And, folks, that's the only thing that will ever do it. Your wonderful personality will not turn God's wrath away. Your good looks will not turn God's wrath away. Your education won't turn his wrath away. Your pedigree won't turn God's wrath away. Your race won't turn God's wrath away. Only one thing appeases God's wrath, and that is the shed blood of Jesus. That's it. And when he sees the blood, his wrath is appeased. Amen? Now, next, John provides a test. And that's what a lot of First John is. He, he gives little tests. For those who claim to truly know the Lord by using the phrase I mentioned already, he who says, and he's going to do it for the first time in verses three through six. He says, now by this, we know that we know him. So what is he after here? How to know that you what? how to know that you know him. In other words, how to know you're real, how to know if you've really come to know Christ. So he's getting down to brass tacks here. How do you know if you really know him or if you just got religion? Or if you've been in church a while and you think being in church caused you to get to know him. That because you're in church, you know him. No. Okay? So he's going to say, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, there's that phrase, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. There's the sting. My little children, if you say you know him you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. Sting. And the truth is not in you. But whoever keeps his word, now, folks, we have to understand in studying 1 John, when he makes a statement like that, he is not saying, he who never sins or he who always perfectly keeps his word. He's talking about those who want to keep his word, who desire to keep his word, who do all in their ability and power and spiritual grace and maturity, who do all they can to keep his word. Your ultimate motivation is you want to please the father. And that's the sign of a born again nature. If you've really been born again, then suddenly you've got a vertical concern. You want to please God. You want to know you're right with him. And if you do something that you know is a sin against God, it's heavy on you. And, and it sits on you. And you lose your peace and you get a knot in your stomach and you can't sleep at night. And you can't eat good and you're irritable and you're snappy. And, and people around you say, what's wrong with you? Well, you know, but what they may not know is that you've sinned and it's sitting on you until you confess it. And a true child of God will have to unload it, have to confess it, have to come clean. And then when you do, then his blood uh, covers the sin and appeases the wrath of God. So whoever keeps his word, whoever really tries, whoever wants to, whoever makes a point of keeping his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. But he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How many of you want to walk like Jesus walked? Amen. Amen. Uh, do you, do you, I don't know about you. I so often feel like I fall short. I just, I feel so often like I fall short. But I know this. I'm not perfect, but I'm sincere. I sincerely want to walk with him. I sincerely want to walk like he walked. Who, what better life could you have than walking like Jesus walked? Full of grace and truth. Full of power, full of love, full of mercy, healing, delivering, raising the dead. Every, hey, I want to walk like Jesus. Amen? Amen. So by this we know that we know him. If we, if we are, are desirous of walking like he walked. Now we know that we truly know the Lord by our desire to keep his word, to obey him, to walk in his commandments. Look what Jesus said. Anyone who loves me will go to church. Is that what it said? No. What is, the, what is the mark of somebody that really loves him? Say it with me. Will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And I love this. We, that is me and my father, will come to them and make our home with them. And how does the Lord do that? By the Spirit that resides in us. He makes our home his home in us. So even Jesus is John is echoing Jesus. If you Love him. You will keep his teaching. You'll forgive, even though it's hard sometimes. Uh, You'll crucify that flesh. You'll pray. Uh, you'll, you'll, You'll do what you know the word instructs you to do. If you don't, if that's not anywhere in you, no desire to do that, I would encourage you to question whether you really know him. Let me tell you something. Real salvation will show. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. I'm not saying you'll walk perfectly. I'm full of flaws. And I've been walking with the Lord, wow, since I was 16, really 18. I'm full of flaws, shortcomings. But I'm not where I used to be. And, And every day I want to walk with him. Now, so if a person says they know Jesus, but they live a worldly lifestyle that clearly runs against the grain of his teaching, or if they walk in a hateful, non-loving spirit towards the brethren, John, John says, I didn't say, John says, they're a liar. We could put it another way. They're deceived. They're deceived. I'm going to tell you, there's all kinds of people that come to church. But when you look at the way they live, you go, wait a minute. There, there's some disconnect here. And I can't tell you how often... I. I I'm seeing it more now than maybe ever in my pastoral career of 35 years. People who say, oh, I know the Lord, hallelujah, kumbaya. They got their hands raised during worship. They're in church. They thumping that Bible. But you go out and you watch the way they live, and and it's just completely disconnected from what Scripture would teach. And you go, what's up with this? What's this disconnect? I mean, they're out there shacking up you say, what are you doing living with somebody when you're not married? Oh, the Lord, the Lord has married us. We, we're, we're in love. And so it's okay with God. No, wait a minute. What Bible are you reading? That sounds like the revised, twisted version. Or, you know, or you're going out and hitting the bars and getting sodded, and then you're in church on Sunday, getting right. And so your Christianity is good for Sunday, but not Monday through Saturday. And I go, wait a minute. Now, I understand immaturity. I understand immaturity. Babies wet their pants, their diapers, not their pants. I understand that. So there's going to be a time of immaturity, and, but, but pretty quick, that baby will start walking. You know, that baby doesn't crawl long before that baby is taking his first steps, and it's the same spiritually. See, you, before long, you ought to be starting to walk. Not perfection, I reiterate, but walk and grow up. If somebody came in here tonight, 40 years old, wearing a diaper, we would all go, something is bad wrong. Right? But there's, there's spiritual Christians walking around all the time who have been in, 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 supposedly in Christ for years and years, but they're still in diapers. What's, what's up with that? You ought to be walking pretty soon. Everybody with me? Now, I told you he was going to sting a little bit. I'm just teaching John, and that's the word of God. John contends, he goes on to say in verse 7, Brethren, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but it's an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Now, that sounds like a contradiction in terms because he just said, I write no new commandment to you. And then he says again, a new commandment, I write to you. What he's saying, let's read the rest. Which, is, which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, what John is saying is, he's saying, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm reaching back to an old commandment, all the way back to Moses' And the words he wrote when he said, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but do whatever, buddy, read the next with me, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. All right, he's reaching back when he says it's not a new commandment. This is what he's referring to. It's old, it's mosaic. And he says, the old commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. But when Jesus came Jesus took that old commandment about walking in love, and he pulled it directly into the light of the new covenant. And he said, love one another as I have loved you. Don't shout me down now. Love one another. One day, somebody came to him. Said, teacher, what's the great, greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest, most important commandment in the whole Old Testament? And Jesus said to him, All right, the first one is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first and most important one. But the second one is like it you shall love your neighbors yourself. Now, watch this. On those two commandments, you shall love your neighbors yourself and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. On those two commandments hangs all the law and all the prophets. In other words, everything the law said and the prophets said could be put into a blender, hit liquefy, and pour it out, and you've got two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Period. Now John's going somewhere with this. So after he says, I'm not writing to you something new, this is old. He said he leaps right into the next verse how loving one another is directly linked to walking in the light. And he's going to use that phrase, he who says, for the second time. Verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness till now. Whoa. He who says. I'm in the light. Oh, yeah, I'm walking in the light. Hallelujah, praise God. But you hate your brother. He says, you're not in the light. You're walking around in darkness until now. Verse 10, he who loves his brother is abiding in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and Walks about, that's the Greek verb. Walk. It, it, that's the tense it's in. Walks around, walks about his day in darkness. And doesn't even know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So can I just simplify things? There's only really two kinds of people on earth. Those who walk in spiritual darkness and those who walk in spiritual light. Those are the only two kinds of people there are in the world. Those who are walking, in, if you're either walking in spiritual darkness or you're walking in spiritual light, you are not walking in a gray zone. There's no gray zone. There's no twilight zone. You're walking in darkness or you're walking in light. And he says, one of the acid tests to see if you're walking in the light is if you're walking in love and you're not hating on people. And boy, are we living in a hate-filled culture now or what? Come on, everyone. Are we living in a hate-filled culture right now? I mean, our American culture is being fueled by hate. Now, John says, if you're a believer, that ought to be as antithetical to you as anything in the world. You ought to be on the opposite end. You ought to be walking in love. Now, can I tell you a little something that might help you? You don't have to like somebody to love them. I, amen? Come on, everybody. You say, well, I, I can't love them because I don't like them. You don't have to like somebody to love them. If you don't know that, let me just inform you tonight. You can find somebody who is abrasive to you as somebody with three-inch fingernails, and they're raking them down a chalkboard that seems to never end. And they're, they, everything about them drives you nuts, but that doesn't mean you can't love because love is something you put on. Put on love. Is that not what Paul said? Put it on. What does that mean? It means put it on. How'd you get dressed tonight? You put on a shirt, you put on pants, you put on shoes, you put them on. You will take them off, you put them on. Paul talks just that way. Put on Christ, put on love, put on mercy. You're driving down the highway in rush hour traffic, somebody pulls in front of you. You got it real quick. I put on Jesus quickly. Put it on. Or something else comes over you, isn't that right? So it's not like you got to walk around like some super, oh, I just love everybody. I'm just so filled and brimming over with love for all people. Come here, I love you no matter what you do to me, no matter what you're like, I just love you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you're a child of God, you'll put it on. You'll do your best to put it on, and you won't walk in hate. Now, see, that's big. I can tell you I don't hate anybody in the world. I haven't hated any, I can't remember the last time I've hated, because that's a strong word, to hate, to hate somebody. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language from which your New Testament came, hate means to detest a person. To loathe them, to despise them, uh, uh, to wish evil upon them, you hate somebody, you're always having homicidal thoughts, or wish, you're wishing something would happen to them bad. You don't have the guts to do it, but you wish something would happen to them bad. and if you hear that something happened to them bad, something inside of you gets happy. Don't look at me so holy. We all been there, haven't we? When you hear that something happened to them? We say, oh, it's about time God sent down his wrath. Um, but but hate is so serious that Jesus took time with it on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said in the Sermon on the Mount that hate is what leads to murder. And he literally taught, we better deal with our hearts. If we get offended and, and we begin to have really negative feelings towards a person, then we need to... Deal with it before it grows because if we let it grow, it's going to turn into hatred and hatred begins to take over your actions. And Jesus said, if you want to stay out of court, I'm serious, read it, Matthew 5, if you want to stay out of court for murder or assault, then you deal with that negative, those negative feelings before they develop into something you can't handle. Have you noticed that there are emotions that can get a hold of you that are bigger than you? You can't handle them. Let me tell you what I'm are. It's hate. Hate is bigger than you, bigger than me. If, if hate, a root of bitterness gets in us and, and we actually begin to hate somebody, then that hatred becomes a monster inside of us bigger than us. I know I watch the ID channel all the time, <laughs> Right? And I see these people, I see them develop uh, hatred and they're, they're good folk, got, got kids, marriage, career, I mean, making a bunch of money. And then you see them and, and something happens, an offense happens between them and their spouse or whoever. And that thing begins to grow. It puts down a root of bitterness. And they end up doing the most atrocious, horrible things. They kill. They assault. And and you see them sitting in court. And you see them going off to prison for the rest of your life. And I always think of what Jesus said. Jesus knew. It all starts in the heart. And you got to deal with your heart. The Old Testament was all about action. Don't kill anybody. Okay, I won't kill anybody. Then you go kill somebody. Why? Because the Old Testament dealt with action. The New Testament deals with your heart. Jesus did. Adultery begins with lust. Murder begins with hate. I mean, you can just go down the list of what Jesus taught. So we can't hate and at the same time walk in the light of fellowship with God. Because Jesus' constant admonition to forgive others uh, before an offense becomes a root of bitterness is, is, is all through the New Testament. He taught it over and over. That's why he taught forgiveness. You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. Because when you forgive, listen, you can't hate somebody you have forgiven. Are you all with me tonight? Y'all are so quiet. See, I, wanna, I don't ever want to visit you between the bars. I have. And and I, I, I know that Jesus knew human nature more than anyone in history. He made us. So if you're walking in hate, John says you don't even know where you're going. You're like a blind man that can't see the path you're walking on. You're full of hate. You're blind. So moving on from that delightful topic where I'm getting a bunch of amens, the apostle turns his attention to three kinds of people, little children, which is spiritual newborns, fathers, those with many years in the faith, and young men, those in their prime years who are growing strong in the faith. So say with me, little children, fathers, young men. Now he's going to talk to those three twice, and he's just going to make brief comments, but they're, they're good. He says, first of all, I write to you, little children. Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, the little children, I believe, is not, um, he's not talking about little kids. He's talking about people new in the faith. And the first thing a newborn child of God experiences is forgiveness of sins for Jesus' sake. So he says, I'm writing to you, little children, you newborns in the faith, because, hallelujah, your sins are forgiven. How many of you are thankful that your sins are forgiven tonight? Amen. <laughs> Now he goes from little kids to fathers. He says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Now, I think when I read that of spiritual fathers, Paul said, you got a lot of preachers. You you got a lot of, uh, you know, teachers, but you don't have many fathers. You don't have many fathers. Thank God for spiritual fathers fathers who have known Jesus for a long time and they're able to mentor others in the faith. The older I get, the more that's happening to me. Now, I feel great, but I'm older. And it's happening to me more. I'm having younger preachers and pastors call and flat out tell me, I need a father in the faith. Well, what are they saying? They're saying, I need somebody I can go to, somebody that can pray with me, somebody I can talk to, somebody that will Help me along. And I'm finding myself, though I'm not looking for it, being put in that position. And I'm okay with it. It's fine. Had a call from one today. What do I do about this and that? He had asked me straight up if I would be like a spiritual father to him. Well, um, that's good. Because you know what? I've been in the faith a long time. I mean, you know, really, most of my life. And I've been in church a long time. So I'm I'm happy to do it. If I can, I'll I'll do my best. But he says, I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. Now, here we're given a key marker of spiritual growth when he's talking about the young men. What is the marker of spiritual growth? You have overcome the wicked one. Walking in victory over temptation and Satan's attacks is a sign of spiritual growth. How many of you know the Lord did not intend for us to be kicked around by the devil? Did, did he say you will, that the devil will cast you out or did he say that we will cast out the devil? So there's there got to come a time where it switches. And sure, we have some defeats here and there. But mainly, we're the one doing some damage to the devil's kingdom. I mean, the, the church needs to grow up some. Start walking. And start defeating the devil. Young men, I rejoice that you have overcome the wicked one. Now he's going to repeat them. He's going to go back to the same ones. He goes again to little children. I write to you little children because you have known the father. You have known the father. You know the father. Praise God for the day we became God's child and cried out. Say it with me. Abba, father. Aren't you glad he's your spiritual daddy? He's your father. Now he says, I've written to you fathers, but he repeats what he said the first time because you have known him. It was from the beginning. That's a repeat. But then he comes back to the young men. And he says, and I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So he adds something that wasn't in the first address to the young men. He tells us how they have overcome the wicked one. How? The word, say it with me, the word of God abides in you. Amen. How have the young men overcome the wicked one? The word of God abides in you. I want to tell you tonight, you will never overcome the wicked one unless the word of God abides in you. The word abide is so powerful. It's a picture of somebody that visits a house and decides to stay there. What he's saying is the word of God in you young men. It has, has stayed in. Remained in. Found a home in you. The word of God, when it first entered your life, young men, it has found a home in you. You haven't kicked it out. You haven't ignored it. You haven't denied it. You haven't resisted it. You haven't you haven't forsaken it. But that word has found a home in you. Let me tell you, I, I, I could never do what I do, ever, ever, I, not for another month, if I did not get into the word of God every day and the word of God abides in me, has found a home in me. I open up my... the the door of my heart every day and say, come on in, word of God. Come on in, word of God, because I want you to find a home in me. His word, Jeremiah said, was like a fire shut up in my bones. I have internalized the word of God. I have assimilated the word of God. I have meditated in the word of God. I have memorized the word of God. I have made the word of God part of me. I love the Bible. I lo- God has made me love the Bible. I'm not bragging on myself. God has made me love the Bible. I love the word of God. Man, I can't wait every morning to get into it. I say, oh, here it comes. Pastures of tender grass, still waters, manna from heaven, honey to my soul. Hmm. So I want the word of God to find a home in you. Because when it does, you will overcome the wicked one. You will overcome the wicked one. Now next, John warns the church against loving this present world. Uh Uh-oh, he's about to meddle. So he goes from the word having a home in you to not loving the world. Don't love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world. Here we go. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Notice how he's always black and white, black and white. If you love this present world, the love of the Father is not abiding in you. For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world, and the world is passing away, and all the lusts that are in it But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, let me just break this down quickly. The Greek word for world here is cosmos. And, of course, we recognize we get our English word cosmos from that. It is not talking about God's beautiful creation, which I love. I love what God has made. I don't love it more than God, but I greatly appreciate what God's made. How about you? I mean, the flowers, the trees, the birds, the animals. I'm amazed at the, the artistry and the creativity of our mighty Father God. He's talking about the wicked, evil world system that the devil is behind. The Bible says the devil is the God of this world, small g, who has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now I'm quoting Paul here who has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The gospel brings the light that displays Christ's glory and he is the image of God, but the God of this world blinds the minds of people so that they can't see it. You ever been talking to somebody about the Lord and you just got this blank stare looking at you? You go, what's the matter with you? I'm telling you about Jesus who changed my life. they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're looking at you. And there's this thing, it's not clicking, it's not connecting, and you can just mark it down. The God of this world has blinded their minds. The Lord has to remove that veil. The Lord has to touch them. The Lord's got to convict them. Now, John says that the devil's world system revolves around three killers. Here they are. The lust of the flesh. That means you're living for sensual pleasure. That's what you live for. We call it hedonism. You are living for sensual pleasure. That's most of our country. Then the lust of the eyes, the second killer. That's when you're focused on sensual things. And I'm not talking about sex, like porn or something. I'm talking about food. I'm talking about f- uh, uh, worldly uh, um, fun. I'm talking about things that that appeal to your eye. Have you ever noticed when you're there at the state fair and you go down that midway, how they have it so geared to get your eyes and, and, and to appeal to the lust of your flesh and the lust of your eyes? Have you ever noticed that? They're calling to you from both sides and and trying to get you to come over and play this game, that game. Throw your money away on this and on that and the other. That's the way the devil works. I hate to say it, but the State Fair Midway always reminds me of the world (laughs) and of the devil and how he attempts to tempt you. All right. He says, and then the pride of life is the pride in your achievements and your possessions without giving any glory to God. So you live by lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. That is what drives Satan's world system. He says, all this is passing away along with the lusts. But if you choose to do God's will, you're going to enjoy eternal life. So have you noticed that when the spirit of God comes to live inside of you, everybody, have you noticed that, that as soon as you get saved, filled with the spirit, and get into the word of God, he immediately begins to pull you away from lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and being proud of achievements or of life without God. No, he humbles us, and we say, Lord, I need you every day. Everything I have comes from you. Uh, uh, Lord, thank you for blessing me today. Thank you for strength today. Thank you, Lord, for helping me to do my job today. Thank you that what I have, I know it came from your hand. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, next, John mentions for the first time the Antichrist. He says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Now, that's singular with a capital A. Notice that. And already, many such Antichrists, that's plural with a small a, have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. How do we know the last hour has come? Because there's a bunch of Antichrist or people with an antichrist spirit walking around. You can't have an antichrist spirit if Christ hasn't come yet. Antichrist means against Christ, opposed to Christ. Now, look what he goes on to say. These people, that's talking about those with the Antichrist spirit, left our churches. But they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved they did not belong with us. Now, notice that he says, first of all, it's the last hour. Now, we talk a lot about being in the last days. Anybody in here believe we're in the last days? Do you believe we're in the last days? Say amen. And, and I believe with that, and indeed we are. But the last days, folks, began when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father. That's when the last days began. Hebrews says, Long ago, God spoke in many different ways to our fathers through the prophets, in visions, dreams, and even face-to-face, telling them little by little about his plans. But now in these what days, everyone? Now, that's the writer of Hebrews way back in the first century. So he's saying... Now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. So the last days began when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the father. That's when the last days began. So we might more accurately say we are in the last of the last days. We're in the last of the last days. Now, John reminds his readers of something I want us to take note of. He says, you've already been told about a singular capital A antichrist. You've already been told about that. Who would come one day? Now, we know that Paul wrote about it, for instance. And apparently it was a common message in the early church that a man of sin, Antichrist, capital A, singular, would one day step onto the world stage. A man, a singular man, a male, a man. All right, we know that's coming. And I see the stage being so set for that, for his worldwide deception. But John says way back in the first century that many small a, plural, antichrists, those that hate and oppose Christ, had already appeared. They were already walking around. And they had been in their churches, and they decided, well, I don't like what's being taught here. I can't take this Jesus Lord stuff, so I'm out of here. I'm out of here. You know, you have a lot of people come to church, sit there for a while. But if you're preaching the Bible, teaching the Bible, you'll see some of them get real uncomfortable with that. And finally, they will say, you know what? I believe I'll go to the Unity Church down the street where you can be anything. And there is no sin. And if you want to be a Buddhist on Monday and a Christian on Tuesday and a Muslim on Wednesday, cool. John says they were finally driven out by the truth and they left. And so when they left, they knew that they weren't, we knew that they were not of us or from us. And so they were exposed when they left the church because they didn't agree with the church's position on Christ. And there's a lot of people who leave for that reason. I see two things drive people out of church. If if you're a Bible teacher and preacher, you will drive some people out because they want a soft pillow. They want a pillow profit, make everything's comfortable they they don 't want you messing with their stuff they don 't want anybody messing with anything of course i don't i don't I just teach the word and it mess it does the messing for me, okay, and people leave from offenses. those are the two biggies and boy don 't take much of an offense. one little thing said wrong, something that you don't take right no. And and I'm just, I believe I'll just go find another church. What do you think you're going to find when you get there? People who are never going to offend you? How long are you going to be offense driven? We're supposed to be word driven. We're supposed to be Jesus driven. But so many Christians are offense driven. They're little babies. Oh, they said something. I've even had somebody leave the church when I did not say hi to them in the hall. I didn't see them. But they left. So he, I, I walked right past him. He didn't say hi to me. I'll go find somewhere where the preacher will say hi to me. Okay. But, but any little offense. And, and we're out. We're out. Nursing our wound when Paul the Apostle was stripped of his clothes five times for his stand for Christ. He was whipped across his back. I'm going to be honest and straight with you, his back, his buttocks, his legs, his neck. With a, cat of, with a whip that had glass shards, metal, and stones on the end. When they wrapped that thing around you, it grabbed your flesh and ripped it loose. Thank you, amen. Amen. Now, if you can imagine, if you can imagine, folks, one of those on your back, are you kidding me, 39 times, five times, over time, he's a little Jewish man, ripped his skin to shreds, left him bleeding If you had seen Paul without a shirt, his back, his legs looked like a road map of scars. I think it went across his face. They they didn't give you 40 because that's when people started dying. Five times. Can you imagine, Paul, somebody said something that hurt my feelings. I'm out of here. Do you know that how often people allow an offense to drive them from the very place God wanted to bless them? Amen. Let me move on quickly. John encourages us to stay true. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry, let me back up just a little bit. So, many people leave. They, they would leave these antichrists. Those with the Antichrist spirit would leave because of the truth. Now, next John reveals how to spot the spirit of Antichrist, which is what he means by plural Antichrist. It's a spirit. He says, so I'm not writing to you as to those who need to know the truth, but I warn you as those who can discern the difference between true and false. Can you tonight, church, know the difference between true and false? And who is the greatest liar? The one who says Jesus is not Christ. Such a person is Antichrist. For he does not believe in God the Father and in his Son. For a person who doesn't believe in Christ, God's Son, can't. Everybody say can't. If you don't believe in Christ as God's only begotten Son, you can't have God the Father either. You can't say, I know God, if you reject that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. You don't know the God of the Bible. But he who has Christ, God's Son, has God the Father also our world is filled with the spirit of antichrist it's filled with it people in high places of learning or with strong media influence they insist that jesus is not the christ that he's that he's not the only way to salvation this is a spirit of antichrist working in them now next john encourages them to stay true to the truth they've received stay true to it i love this everybody say keep on believing He says, so keep on believing. In light of all these things, Antichrist, walking in the light, walking in the dark, hating or loving, all these things, in light of all this, keep on believing. What you have been taught from the beginning, if you do, you will always be in close fellowship with both God the Father and his Son. And he himself has promised us this, eternal life. These remarks of mine, he goes on to say, about the Antichrist, are pointed at those who would dearly love to blindfold you and lead you astray. So I'm going to just drop this before we finish. Be very careful who you're listening to. Who has your ear? Who has your ear? All right? Oh, man. Listen. Hollywood? Anymore? Be real careful. I could go on some things about the Avengers. I'm not, but I could. All these superhero movies, I understand superhero stuff, I get it. I was a big Superman fan as a boy, so much so that I put a towel on my back one day with bobby pins and jumped off my roof, and I learned quick, Superboy, I am not, super hurting, I am. But but so much uh, uh, mysticism and occultism is weaved into those. But I'm going to leave that for another time. Um, So be careful who you're listening to. Paul told young Timothy Timothy the same thing. As for you, continue. Everybody say continue. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Knowing from whom you learned it. You learn. Continue in what you learn. That Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. The word of God is the inerrant word of God. One day we're going to heaven. We're avoiding hell. And I just lost my light. I don't know what happened there. But I'm going to continue. I'm going to continue the things I have learned. And, and come to know. All right. Now. You have received the anointing, he says, the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you, in your hearts. So you don't need anybody to teach you what is right. He's not saying there shouldn't be teachers in the church. I'm a teacher. But he's saying when it comes to knowing right from wrong, you've got the Holy Spirit of truth in you. And he teaches you what is right and wrong. He teaches you all things, and he is the truth, and he is no liar. And so just as he has said, you must live in Christ never to depart from him. John closes with an admonition, and let's stand, and we're going to read it together, this final admonition. I want you to read it out loud with me. It's good stuff. Are you ready? And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, We also know that all who practice right living are God's children. Amen. 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 Let's lift our hands to the Lord and thank God for his goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that the word of God is truth. Thank you, Lord, that you came to show us the truth and teach us the truth. Thank you for it. Now, Lord, we pray. As we go out tonight, help us to bear fruit. Help us to be true to the word. Help us to continue in the things we've learned and been assured of. Who you are. What you came to do. Savior of the world. Clean living. Holiness. Thank you for it, Lord.